0: The title of what I'm sharing with you is the book of 1 Peter. This is part nine that we are busy with today. And this is the final message on 1 Peter. Can you believe it? We started the last Sunday in January, and we've been journeying through this all the time. This is the last Sunday on this uh, book of 1 Peter. So we will Plan to get stuck into 2 Peter, Lord willing, later in the year, but not just yet. We're going to have a little break, focus on some other things, and then we'll get into 2 Peter later on. So, today we're going to look at chapter 5. Everyone say chapter 5. Please turn there so long. We're going to look at the whole chapter. It's just 14 verses long, so we can fit it into one message. Let's get straight into it here. We are 1 Peter 5, verse one to 14, and the Apostle Peter is speaking to people who are spread out among the Roman provinces in Asia Minor. They have been spread out there because of persecution. Persecution is on the rise. There's suffering taking place. And Peter, who had such a love for for the church, He's busy speaking and giving instruction and exhortation and helping to strengthen these churches. And may I remind you, this is the same Peter that walked in the water with, with Jesus, the same one that cut off the high priest's ear, the same one that stood up boldly on the day of Pentecost, preached. And this is the same Peter writing many years later. So let's get straight into it. Verse one, the elders who are among you I exalt I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed Now here's the exhortation verse 2 Shepherd the flock of God which is among you I like that Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. Can someone say hallelujah? Likewise, you younger people, this is younger in age and also younger in faith, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. That's a beautiful phrase. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Take note, God is not neutral towards the proud. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, verse six, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, Casting all your care upon him. This is beautiful, for he cares for you. Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, this is is brief, by the way, five chapters, that's brief. I've written written to you briefly, exhorting, and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Now, before we read verse 13, it says by Silvanus. Uh, It would seem as though uh, Peter was using Silvanus almost as a secretary and he's dictating and Silvanus is writing down. Silvanus is the Roman name for Silas and Peter used this Roman name because Peter was writing to Roman provinces. This is the same Silas as in Paul and Silas, the Silas who accompanied Paul on his second missionary journey. In verse 13 it says, she who is in Babylon, that's basically your sister church in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus, and we say amen. The Lord bless the reading of his holy words. Now this brings us to the end of reading five chapters together in the word of God. And by the way, I noticed that it says, greet one another with a kiss of love. So I felt that I wanna be practical today and take a moment and invite you to reach out to the person next to you in love and give them a big kiss on the cheek. No, 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 okay. Don't get nervous in the service now, people. Don't get nervous. There might be some young people saying, yes, pastor, say it, say it. Ah, I wanna kiss her, please, please say it. Sorry, man, sorry, dude. Sorry to disappoint you. All right, no kisses today. (laughs) There are four points that I'd like to share with you And they are all out of these verses, these 14 verses. And point number one, I'm gonna spend quite a lot of time on, and the other points are shorter than that. Point number one, shepherding the flock. Please say that out aloud with me, shepherding the flock. Do you believe that the shepherding of the flock is important? It is certainly important. It is spoken about here very clearly by Peter, Now look at verse 2 and 3, and by the way, keep your Bible open throughout the time of our sharing so that you can glance down at what I'm referring to. Look at verse 2 and 3, just this I want to read in the New Living Translation. It says, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you, watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over people assigned to your care, but lead them by your good example. Now in terms of this, I'd like to say that many abuses that have taken place in church circles could be totally eliminated if these two verses were just obeyed. The solution is always in the word of God. It is that powerful that these two verses being obeyed could make such a radical difference. Now, elders, talks about elders, essentially made simple, elders are church leaders. Elders or church leaders, do you realize that they carry a great responsibility before God for the flock? Do you realize that elders will one day answer to God for how they have conducted themselves before the people of God and leading the people of God, do you realize that God is very serious about his sheep being well cared for? And Jesus said to Peter in John 21, he said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. So Peter must have felt like this is a bit of an overemphasis, God, but it wasn't. It wasn't being overemphasized too much. You can't overemphasize it too much. And Jesus said it three times. And so here, later on, Peter is now telling us the same thing. Peter had learned through the impartation of Jesus, and now Peter is passing, that on He says, listen, this is very important that we care for the people of God, that the elders in the church care for the people of God. And in Ezekiel 34, Verse four and five, we find something very interesting, that the Lord is rebuking the unfaithful shepherds in Israel because they haven't taken up their responsibility and because they've also been harsh and wicked as shepherds. I'll read it to you, Ezekiel 34, four and five. God says to these unfaithful shepherds, you have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured, You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. Sounds like leaders that were like bullies. In verse five it says, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. Do you know that the elders, the church leaders, they are supposed to be like those olden day shepherds who had literal sheep who would protect their sheep. They would guide their sheep. They would guard their sheep. And as I see it, they actually really had a love for the sheep in their care. And you know what, today in this day and age, now more than ever before, the church needs faithful shepherds. Do you agree with that? And it'll become increasingly necessary as persecution increases, which the Bible says will happen, in an increasing way in the last days. Even much more than faithful shepherds will be needed. Now in verse two and three, Peter touches on three characteristics that should not be present amongst church leaders and church leadership. And we need to take note of this. And the three characteristics are, number one, compulsion. Number two, dishonest gain. Number three, lording it over people. May I just say a few things on those three aspects? So, these are characteristics that must not be present in church leaderships. Compulsion, everybody say compulsion. What is compulsion? It is reluctance. It is dragging your feet. And instead of compulsion, there should be willingness. There should be a desire to please God. I think of some of the smaller churches we're in a large church, just choose life, but there's many smaller churches, maybe they got 60 or 80 or 90 people in the church, and you know, oftentimes there's a need to invite people to come and serve on the eldership, and maybe there's four or five places there. But sadly, many times in those smaller churches, they battle to get those positions filled. Nobody wants to serve. There is a reluctance to serve. They struggle to fill those vacancies. You know what? That should not be the case. We should serve willingly. And God is speaking about this. Let there not be compulsion, but let there be eagerness to serve. I think of Choose Life Church. Now, uh, we oftentimes approach people and say, Well, would you be willing to serve as a life group leader, assistant group leader, or as a shepherd, etc.? And uh, we only do that if we sense that people are actually called, not just anybody should be leading, but there should be a calling to lead. And it's wonderful that many people are eager when we invite them to serve. But sometimes we've also noticed that there is reluctance. People are so focused on their career, their job, what they are doing, that they're not wanting to make themselves available to serve in the house of the Lord. And that is sad. Rather, we should be enthusiastic to serve the flock of God. And so this is what it's saying. No, there mustn't be compulsion. There needs to be willingness, a desire to please God. The second aspect that he touches on here is dishonest gain. Please say that, dishonest gain. What is dishonest gain? It's about greed. It's about doing it for the money. It's about a church leader who says, well, what is in it for me? And that is so wrong. Instead of that, there should be eagerness to serve and there should be zeal, true zeal for the things of God. It's sad to say, that there is a lot of dishonest gain in some churches today. Even in churches in our city, there are churches that are out there to make a buck for dishonest gain. They think you open up a church like, like a business, trying to make money. I mean, they've lost the plot in terms of that. They're not even called by God, yet they start a church. I wanna say loud and clear that those are not true churches of God. They are frauds, and it needs to be said. Somebody just rocks up in a country. Next thing, they got 40 people in their church. Next thing, there's a Rolex and fancy clothes, and they're driving a Range Rover. I'm thinking, no, that is wrong. They are not representing God well. And they are fraudsters. Now, people listening to me right now online, I want to encourage you, if you are looking for a church, just because outside it says church doesn't mean it's a true church of God. Make sure that there is this kind of spirit that Peter is speaking about in the leadership of the church. And so let me tell you this. True elders don't focus on money. But they focus on building the kingdom of God and pleasing God, amen? So compulsion, dishonest gain, then there's the other aspect, lording over people. Please say that with me, lording over people. What does this mean? It talks about basically leaders or elders that are domineering, that are controlling, that they are forceful. And when you don't wanna do what they say you must do, then they try to force you. It is a shame that that exists. Instead of lording it over people, there should be example setting that leaders are setting good examples for people to follow by their very lives and the way in which they live. Listen to the statement. Leaders should be examples, not dictators. Do you agree? It's sad that some leaders say, well, do as I say, not as I do. They're effectively saying that my life's actually such a bad example that don't even follow me because it's a bad example. That's not right. I think of the Apostle Paul. He wasn't two-faced in the way in which he lived. He was quite happy for people to follow the example of his life. In fact, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And a leader who is not prepared to say, "Follow the example of my life," is probably doing something that is wrong, because a true leader like Paul, he said, "Follow me as I follow Christ." Listen to the statement: Don't just tell the way, but show the way. I believe that leaders should be at the front, leading by example. They should not be at the back with a whip trying to drive their sheep. No. Church leader, if you're listening to me online, get out in front and lead by example. That's what God calls for you to do. Have you ever encountered a domineering pastor? Have you ever encountered a bossy pastor? It's terrible to serve in an environment like this, like that. People's lives get destroyed, people's lives get broken. But in verse three in the Amplified Bible, let me just read it to you, it puts it across beautifully. It says, not lording it over those assigned to your care. And then in brackets it says, do not be arrogant or overbearing, this is for church leaders. But be examples of Christian living and set a pattern of integrity for your congregation. Can I get an amen? Amen. This is the right heart, this is the right spirit. And let's also remember that the flock, the body of Christ, the local church, does not belong to the elders, but it belongs to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ himself. And when we lead church in a way that we recognize that he is the chief shepherd, the church belongs to him, and we are the under shepherds, then that is a recipe for a healthy church. And so the church belongs to Jesus Christ. The chief shepherd in verse four in your Bible, it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. I love this. Thank you, Jesus. This makes me realize that there's a wonderful reward for faithful shepherds, faithful life group leaders, faithful leaders in the church, and it is a crown of glory That will never fade away. This makes me realize, in the end of the day, it is all gonna be worth it. Our faithful service to the Lord is all gonna be worth it. Come on, you can get a bit more excited than that. It's all gonna be worth it. Woo! Praise the Lord. uh, Point number two. Submission and humility... Help the body function effectively. Please say that with me. Submission and humility help the body function effectively. Look at verse 5 and verse 6. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes. All of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. I like this. There's like a submission across the whole body. We submit to one another. Yes, there's a recognition of elders and so on, but also we are submitting to one another. And be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse six, this is interesting. Therefore, humble yourselves, What's that word off to humble? Yourselves. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You've heard me say this before, but it is our job to humble ourselves. It is God's job to exalt us, and that's the way it should be. But if you think you're gonna start doing God's job to exalt you, and you're going to start to exalt yourself, then God's going to start doing your job, and He's going to humble you. So my hot tip for the day is just humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Come on, tell somebody next to you, humble yourself. It's better that way. (laughs) In chapter three, two chapters earlier, we're dealing with chapter five, in chapter three, Peter had spoken extensively about submission in the family unit in the home. But now we see that Peter is talking about submission in the local church and he's effectively telling us these are the things that need to be in place for the local church to function effectively. What is needing to be in place? It's a certain attitude where there is submission. It's a certain attitude where there is humility. Just imagine a congregation where every single member has a heart of humility before the Lord. Imagine a congregation where every single member has a submission to one another and esteems others better than themselves. That's what the Bible says. It's sad for me when we see so many church splits taking place. I met with a pastor during the week, first time I've ever met him. He runs a church in the south of the city and he came and met with me. He's been leading this church since about 2008. And uh, he said to me that they have already been through two church splits. I felt very sorry for him. And I believe that if we will apply, this kind of thing of submission and humility and this attitude, there will be far less of that nonsense taking place because there's a humble attitude towards others. There's a regard for others. Amen? Now, point number three. Are you still with me, church? Please eyeball the person next to you and check that both eyes are wide open. Fantastic. Presti, yara, Like they say in the RGS, presti, yada. Now, Amen. Point number three, casting your cares. Say this out loud with me. Casting your cares. Verse seven. Casting all your care upon him. For he cares. Say the word cares. He cares for you. I want to tell you this is a potent verse. I say, praise God that this verse is in the Bible. Are you grateful for this verse? And we sure need this verse, especially in today's stressful world in which we are living. When we think of all that we've been through in these last two years, and there's been many very big challenges... We have this lifeline, we have this opportunity to be giving over things to the Lord and not carrying them in our own strength. It's a wonderful invitation from God. Now, the Greek word translated care is merimna. What does merimna mean? Merimna means concern, anxiety, worry. So we need to be casting our concerns, our anxieties and our worries over to the Lord. But Marimna also strongly conveys the idea of distraction. Please say distraction. Distraction. Have you been feeling distracted lately? And you even struggle to focus. You sit down to focus and to get to things, and you are so distracted in your life. And so maybe you can relate to this, and you can say, yeah, that's what it is. It's not so much fears and anxieties, it's just endless amount of distractions. And I wanna say the Lord wants you to surrender those distractions to Him, but it takes apart from you where you have to surrender those distractions. But it's to me so beautiful here, Peter is reminding us as believers that we can give our troubles to God. Yes, he is interested in us giving our troubles, And also, he's reminding believers that God truly cares. Can you hear those three words today? God truly cares. Have you ever cried out to God in frustration and said, God, do you even care what I'm going through? I'm sure many of us have, if not most of us, we get to that point, we frustrate it. There's been this after that, after that, after that. And we say, God, do you really care? And I want to say the truth is, He absolutely does. And He says it in His Word in verse 7 for He cares for you. Hallelujah for that. Please tell the person next to you, God really cares for you. Tell them that. God really cares for you. And verse 7 in the Amplified says the following. It kind of expands on a bit. It says, casting all your cares, and then in brackets it says, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns once and for all on Him, for He cares about you. Now I love this place, this part. He cares about you with deepest affection. Would you just believe God's word? He cares with deep affection and watches over you very carefully. You are the sheep of his pasture. He's watching over you now. In this week when you were so stressed out with that thing that happened on Tuesday, he's watching over you with affection. He's watching over you with great care. But also realize that it takes humility to recognize that we need his care. It takes humility to realize that we need God's help because if you're not gonna humble your heart, God says, I will oppose the proud. But God says, if you will humble your heart and choose to have an attitude of dependence on me, then the grace will flow. He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the contrite of heart. He gives grace to the contr- those who are, have a broken spirit. And so if you want to receive God's grace, I have to tell you today that it comes with a low door of humility, recognizing that I cannot be self-reliant. I'm not strong enough to live on top by my own guts and personality and mindset and so on. It takes the Father in heaven, and I am a sheep, and I humble myself, and I say, God, I receive your loving care. That's what you need to do today, church. God, I receive your loving care humbly coming before you because I trust that you really do care. Amen? Now, it says, casting your care on the Lord. Notice that word, casting. Would you please say, casting? Casting. Say it a bit louder, Casting. casting. Now, casting, that word, basically implies that you are throwing it far from you. Now, let me do a little check here. How many of you, you quite enjoy fishing? Maybe you're not even a professional or maybe you're a professional. Raise a hand if you quite enjoy fishing. Stick up your hand. Suddenly people are shy to say I'm a fisherman because you think afterwards we're gonna ask you what's the biggest fish you caught, eh? And then you get that uh, evangelistic anointing, how you show bigger than one of them. All right, now, what happens? Let's say you got your rod... And you've figured it out, you've got your floater, you got your weight, you got your bait, and all of that. I know there's different ways of catching fish, so don't give me a hard time here. But the idea is if you have a rod, is that you cast your rods. You cast your line out onto the water. Now, would you agree that if when you cast it lands next to you, you're not casting very well. Would you also agree if you cast and it lands in your buddy's ear, you're in trouble? (laughs) And so the idea with casting is that there you create distance. And I think as Peter, don't forget Peter was a fisherman. He knew about casting not only with a pole, but he knew about casting nets. And he, he's speaking with authority here. And he says, this is the way in which you do it. You cast your cares onto the Lord. You get distance between you and your cares. And so I want to say to you, child of God, today, cast your care far <laughs> onto the Lord, onto his capable shoulders. By the way, Peter was quoting when he was talking about this, in 1 Peter 5, he was actually quoting from, Isaiah, uh, so, sorry, from Psalm fifty five twenty two in the Amplified Classic. And it says this, cast your burden on the Lord, and I like this, releasing the weight of it. Cast your cares on the Lord, releasing the weight of it. Sometimes I've been praying to God and I've given my care to the Lord in prayer, but if I'm honest, I have not released the weight of it. I'm still holding the weight. May I encourage you as you cast, you release the weight of it. And by the way, the heavier the weight on the rod, the further you can cast. And so we need to release the weight of it unto the Lord. So realize this, casting is not about passivity. Passivity it calls for actions so cast it far from you release the weight of that burden point number 4 this is my last point be vigilant and ready to resist the devil say this out aloud with me here we go be vigilant and ready to resist the devil this is actually how we need to live our lives now look at verse 8 and 9 be sober be vigilant Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, say that with me, resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. I would just like to point out that this says here that the devil walks around like a lion. He walks around like a lion, but he is not a lion. He is always trying to copy the real thing, but he will never be able to succeed because I wanna say this loud and clear, that there is only one true lion, and that is the lion of the tribe of Judah. It is our God. Come on, put your hands together. There's only one true lion. And when that lion roars, mountains tremble before him. The earth shakes before him. Don't be afraid of the counterfeit, the illegitimate, but let there be a fear for the true lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, I find something interesting because as you look at verse 8 and 9, I see that Peter has grown. He has grown to be a more sort of like brave person. He's grown to be a more resolute and determined person. May I remind you, 30 years earlier, Peter was denying Jesus on three occasions. But since then, He had now grown and he had learned to stand firm against persecution and to stand firm against the attack of the enemy. And now he's urging you and I as believers that you and I can also stand firm against the enemy. I really pray that faith will arise in your hearts today, that you can stand firm against the enemy. I really pray that. What's also interesting for me is know this, that you can certainly grow in your ability to withstand the enemy. Now, isn't that good to know? Peter, at one point in time, he wasn't so good at resisting. But later on, you see this guy. He knows how to clop the devil, absolutely. Clop is Greek word for speedily extend your arm and slap. He's learned some stuff. You might have been only serving the Lord for three or six months. And maybe you haven't grown that much yet in your ability to resist the devil. You can still resist him now. Let me tell you, be clear about that. But as you grow in your understanding of the Lord and understanding of who you are in Christ, you get a little bit more annoyed with the devil and you say, devil, get behind me, you silly old stinking thing, in Jesus' name. I remember there was a pastor and he told the story that he woke up one night and there was a sense of an evil presence in his home, and he walked into his lounge, and he saw the devil was sitting on a chair there, and the devil was now trying to make him fearful and intimidate him. And he took one look at this. I don't know if it was Smith or Wigglesworth or something like that. Was it Wigglesworth? And he took one look at the devil, and he said, oh, it's only you. I'm going back to bed. <laughs> Why? Because he had learned that you can withstand the devil. Child of God, you can withstand the devil. You've got to know that. And this aspect of being vigilant—everybody say the word "vigilant"—is interesting. What does "vigilant" mean? The definition: keeping careful watch for possible danger. When you're vigilant, you're watching out for possible danger, and you're ready to respond. I think of driving in South Africa at night. <laughs> and. Sometimes there's risks associated with driving at night, especially when you stand in one of those big intersections and the robot is red and you can't go and there you're standing. And with with my wife and and us as a family, we, we make sure the windows are closed, doors are locked, and I say, keep an eye out, guys. Basically, I'm saying, be vigilant. And at the same time, make sure that your foot is on the accelerator, you're ready to rock and roll and get out of there. Now, by the way, isn't it so sad that it is this way in our country, but we believe that better days are ahead and God is gonna heal our nation. Crime will come under control. Just because there's a mess now doesn't mean that there will always be a mess. Come on. And so, being vigilant is like that. You're alert and ready to respond to any danger. And let me say this to you as I'm starting to draw to a close. The best way for you to withstand the enemy is for you to be strong in your faith. Now, what I mean by that, I mean that you believe that Jesus has already defeated the devil and that he has given you authority over the enemy, and then you act in accordance with that, that is being strong in your faith. And Jesus said in Luke 10, verse 19, he said, Behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You have to know that he who is in you is greater. I pray that the Spirit of God stirs that within you. He who is in you is greater. The authority has been given to you. You cannot fight off the devil in your own strength, but in the authority of God, you defeat him. Also, just to say that one thing's for sure, the devil has no good intentions for your life whatsoever. All he wants to do is devour and destroy you. You think you're gonna mess around with the occult and it's gonna be good and some nice things will happen. Rubbish, it will not happen like that you'll begin to open your life up to destruction and devouring and death. Don't play with the devil. He only has bad plans for you. And he comes and he'll try to tell you lies and he'll try to tell you, you know what? You want him to do that in your life, but you won't succeed. He'll tell you, you don't have the talent. Others have the talent, you don't have the talent. He'll say, you are gonna fail. But that's a lie. Don't accept that, resist the devil when he comes with his lies. Let me give you another example. This is very important. The devil will come and tell you, he will say, life is not worth living. He'll say to you, you're actually a burden to all the people around you. And this is one of the main lies he uses. He said, he'll say, your family will be better off without you. Don't believe. Let there be a vigilance in your heart that rises up and you resist the devil. And this is what it says in James four, verse seven. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil. And this is what my Bible says, and he will flee from you. Say that with me. He will flee from you. A little louder. He will flee from you. Can we believe God and take him according to his word? He will flee from you. Let faith stir in your heart. So, I trust that you've enjoyed our series on 1 Peter. Can we honor God for His Word? Come on, child of God. We honor God for His Word. Somebody say hallelujah. Stand with me, please. I'm gonna close in prayer, but I just wanna read to you two verses, verse 10 and verse 11, because we did see that There was an element that came through quite strongly of suffering, but we have victory in Christ, even through the whole book of 1 Peter. But listen to this verse, and maybe let this be kind of the parting shot here. Verse 10 and 11. Maybe you'd like to close your eyes. But may the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory, By Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, may he perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.